Welcome into The Harvest. My name is Andrew Stroud, and this podcast is dedicated to helping you be a disciple and make disciples in the everyday places of life. And I'm excited because we've had you on the show a couple of times now, Cecil, but for those who might not know, Cecil is the man responsible for discipling me when I was 20 years old. I think we met and we ministered, served alongside each other, and I learned under Cecil and his wife, Jeannie, uh, my wife and I learned under them for seven years. We partnered shoulder to shoulder from the time I was 20 until 27. And that definitely changed my life. And the older I get, I was sharing this with someone recently, the older I get, the more, the more I understand how rare and how privileged that experience was for me. A lot of people who want to grow in their faith and want to be sincere don't have the opportunity to learn and be mentored up close and personal uh, by someone who is 20, 30 years ahead of them in the Christian life. So uh, Cecil, it's uh, an honor to be able to share you with uh, a broader audience here at Into the Harvest. So thanks for being on the show. And I know this isn't your, this isn't your venue. <laughs> so Cecil, you know, you, you among all people that I have known, you have been the most consistent and I, I would say the most intense about doing what we call life on life ministry or man to man, person to person, really face to face is what Paul describes it as in, uh, in First Thessalonians. So um, we've been talking a little bit because you've been visiting this weekend and you said something that I, you probably wouldn't mention on the show. I'm going to mention it for you you were saying that you're reading through the scriptures again this year, and this will be somewhere around your 57th time reading through the Bible in its entirety, cover to cover. And for a lot of our listeners, it's probably hard to even imagine what that would be like to be in the Bible and to go through it that many times. But you're 78. You've been following Jesus for 50 plus years. You've read through the Bible over 50 times. What would you say is a dominant theme, maybe the dominant theme that has come back to you again and again over the course of those decades and over the course of reading the Bible that many times that maybe the average believer is missing? Uh, of course, this is a evolving issue. One doesn't start at the end, it starts at the beginning. And so when I first became a Christian, evangelism was... Uh, was the only thing that my uh, uh, the guy that led me to Christ knew, and therefore I assumed that was uh, what my job was. But that didn't end up uh, making me uh, satisfied in the end. There was no, there, there was nothing to feed me. It was all outgoing. Then over a period of time, I met the navigators and got exposed to discipleship, and that. Uh, that began to feed me a little bit. Now I get, got some of the joy of seeing someone else grow in the Christian life. Then it, it uh, slowly began to uh, evolve. I, I listened to a set of tapes by a guy named Leonard Evans, 
And uh, I, I listened to 10 of his tapes. I can only remember one phrase out of all 10 tapes. And he said, the way God wants to be loved is through people. And, and, that, and I think I was at a maturity level where that registered. And I said, yes, I think that's what Jesus is talking about. And so I think that was my, uh, the, uh, the beginning of your question. So that was the beginning that God wants us to love him by loving others. Um, you said that evangelism was sort of a dominant theme early on because that was maybe the only thing, that was the only outward expression of that that you knew. So how has that changed? I mean, what does it mean and what does it look like to, to love people? How do we figure out how to do that? Well, uh, Jesus told us in the Great Commission, and I'll hopefully reference this later, that uh, we need to be openly identified and going back as the demoniac was told and tell people what great things God has done for us. That's supposed to be something that uh, is as natural as breathing for us, uh, even though it may be a little difficult in some circumstances. But uh, uh, that's, that, that is something that uh, I began with. W what was your question again now? Well, I think most people, well, maybe not most people, but I think a lot of people would be okay with the idea of, okay, I need to love others. And yeah. that's what God really wants. But then there's all these different ideas about how to do that. Like, yeah. How should I be loving people? Some people would say, um, maybe on one extreme, you know, don't force the gospel on someone because that makes them uncomfortable. It might actually drive them away from the faith. Others would say like, no, you need to be confronting people with the message. Still others would say you just need to be serving and loving people. So, I mean, how, how do you narrow down what it means to love people? Uh, I, I think there's a verse in Second Chronicles 16.9 that uh, opens this topic up for me. It says that the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth in order to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are completely his. So he seems to be fishing for people who are interested in his values. Mm -hmm. And so I think that First uh, uh, Peter 3.15 says we need to always be ready to give an answer of the faith that's within us. Uh, demoniac, just tell people what great things God has done for you. When you read the, the uh, epistles of Paul, he doesn't seem to be sending them out to beat on doors. He seems to be uh, pointing them toward maturity and getting ready when opportunity rises. So uh, I, I, I don't want to take this too far uh, and get in trouble with Christianity as a whole. But I think, uh, I think fishing for hungry people is really what we're after, not trying to talk people into doing something they don't want to do. So uh, that, that's a little different than you know, uh, my, my pursuing everybody. Abby and I talk about this on the podcast. Sometimes both she and I are what I would call word nerds. So we like to really think through what's the, the right word to, to communicate what we're going after. And I, I had this thought just recently, and I was thinking about what is the mission of our faith? And I, I think I would have said in the past that the mission is to make disciples, but 
I don't know, something about that wasn't, wasn't necessarily uh, striking me as quite right. So, so what I landed on was that I believe that the mission is to represent Jesus in front of a watching world, regardless how they respond. We're to be ambassadors. Jesus said we're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I think our job is to make disciples. So I, I try to make this distinction between the mission that I have as a follower of Jesus, which, like you said, that should just be a natural um, outflowing of my life, that my values more and more are matching up with Jesus's. My message more and more matches up with what his message was as he walked the earth as a man. Um, but the job that he's given to me, the thing that I'm really hoping for and praying towards is that he'll lead me to one of those men, one of those women who, like you said, is already he's already worked in their heart their heart is directed towards him their heart is completely his the, the second chronicle 16 passage um to be able to to identify as i represent jesus to everyone to look for those who are responding to that and wanting more and and those are the ones i think that's one of the big things that i got from you is that recognizing that it's not our job to make people interested uh, or to or to convince them, I think we should try to be persuasive. But it's not our job to convince people. It is our job to be alert and to recognize when someone is ready for more and then to, to offer that to them, to, to be mature enough ourselves that we could disciple them the way Jesus discipled uh, those, first, those first followers. In your own life, what did that journey look like of, of figuring out how to find hungry people? Well, when, when Jesus uh, spoke to Peter uh, and told him to follow him, you would think Jesus would say, I will, I'm going to show you how to uh, lead people to Christ, or I'm going to show you how to have a closer relationship with God. But he didn't. Hmm. He said, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And, of course, the kind of people, non-Christians were all around him, the kind of people that uh, he was going to show him how to fish for is the people that he was fishing for, the 11. And so I think that uh, while leading people to Christ is a, uh, a means to an end, an unnecessary one, it's not the end product. That's why that, uh, my, my current favorite verse, I, I tend to change occasionally, is in Genesis 126, and that's before God ever made man. And in Genesis 1.26, he says, let us, speaking to himself, make man after our image, after our likeness. Uh, in other words, it wasn't just having a baby, but it was having a baby who was like Christ. And so uh, if, we get, if we get stalled in the, the leading people to Christ, we're never going to accomplish God's objective. So although leading people to Christ is a means, mm -hmm. it's not the end. Uh, and as I began to shift my favorite verses, I, I hit another one. The one before this one was in Colossians 2.3. And it talks about in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's not his death. It's the treasures that he's referencing there. And then before my key verse before that was Matthew 6.33. If you'll seek the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus was teaching, uh, I'll take care of your back. Mm 
I'll cover for you. Uh, we everything ends up with the uh, the death of Christ for us, but everything ends up with me making Jesus's life with Christ. Yeah, I've uh, man, there's like two or three directions that I want to go with that. Um, I love that verse out of Colossians two, so maybe we can just pick that thread and and uh, follow it for a little bit. That in Christ are hidden all the treasures of, of wisdom and knowledge. Why do you think that is? I mean, I mean, Paul is talking to believers there in uh, Colossae, and he's he's letting them know where to find the treasures, but he's also letting them know that hey, these treasures are hidden. They're not necessarily something that you're going to have. Uh, they have to be dug out. They have to be uh, sought for. Um, I don't know if this is even worth asking, but why do you think that is? Why do you think it's not just made obvious? Because obviously the world, um, uh, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. But many Christians who believe in Christ, don't. it, it hasn't clicked for them either, these treasures of wisdom and knowledge that it's almost like we we start with Christ and then we start looking elsewhere to to find uh, maturity and depth instead of just staying focused on Christ and digging out those treasures. Um, I don't even know what I'm asking here, except, you know, why do you think it's hidden and and how do you try to help someone not move on from Christ, stay focused on Christ? Well, when when we answer questions that God hadn't answered, uh, we have to kind of go into our opinions. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, Moses was trying to be as clear as he could humanly be to make sure that everybody understood what God told him. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, when Paul and the epistle, uh, the apostles were writing their epistles, they were trying to not lead anybody astray to tell them exactly uh, what they thought the truth was. But as you mentioned, that in Jesus, he's trying to be fuzzy. And so I have to answer the question, why would that be? And uh, for one, I think you reference it. I don't think that he wants people who are not interested to understand. He wants people who are interested to understand. And so I think uh, that if you if you study Moses, you don't have to you don't have to go into the depth to understand him. You just have to understand what God meant by what he said to him same way with Paul. But when you study Jesus, uh, you have to go, you have to peel the onion deeper and deeper and deeper. And my take on that mm -hmm. is that you're going to end up getting a relationship with the one that you spend the most time with, the one that you are asking the deeper questions and trying to understand what they mean by what they said. So I think that, uh, mm -hmm. that, that the essence of what, what Jesus is hiding is a uh, relationship, which is what I think God is ultimately after. I think fruit is the result of, of uh, uh, helps develop relationship. And that's why Jesus talks about fruit so much. So uh, that's my uh, opinion is that, uh, if, but most people are spending time just reading the Bible. And when they're doing that, they're, they're not getting this ultra relationship with, with God. I mean, Jesus said it said real clearly, see, uh, see it was in John uh, uh, 8, 19 he said that if you knew me you would know the father and so uh if you're going to understand god 
you've got to understand Christ, not Paul or Moses, but Christ. And so as we go deep into Christ, we're going to understand who God is. I remember we, when we were, Cindy and I were back with you and Jeannie back in the late 90s, um, you had a group that was more focused on the, the, the core leaders, the folks that, um, that you, you guys were especially investing in, who were really learning how to make disciples and uh, trying to do that. And we called it STS, which I, I, I don't even know. What does the STS stand for? I never search, asked. Search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. Okay. I thought that might have been it, but it's good to get it on record here. Um, but you would often share a little devotion at the beginning of that. And I can remember you sharing that, that you had come to realize that maturity in the scriptures uh, or just maturity in knowing God's will was not, a, was not a matter of adding more things, sort of like horizontally learning more and more things about God and more and more things about the Bible. That, that maturity and, and truly knowing the scriptures was a matter of discerning what those main things were and then going deeper. And so each time reading through the scriptures, trying to get a deeper understanding of Jesus, his message, his mission, his model, how we're supposed to follow that. And uh, I like what you're saying. It definitely has, has resonated true in my own life that what Jesus wants from us is, is still to come and follow. I mean, you're 78. Um, and every time we get together, one of the things that always inspires me is you have a new favorite verse or you have a, a new thing that God is teaching you, that, that the Lord is teaching you. Um, and it just points me to this, this notion that we're always supposed to be following Jesus. We're always supposed to be digging out more of that hidden treasure that he talks about in Colossians 2. And so if that's the objective, if, if the whole, if the whole purpose of of him bringing us back into the family of god is to then transform us more and more into the image which was all the way back in genesis 1 26 like you said um that makes a lot of sense to me that okay then you have to stay focused on jesus and not just studying him in an academic sense mm -hmm. but really trying to pattern your life after what you see revealed in scripture specifically about Jesus himself. I, there's, there's a verse that, that, that uh, helps me understand uh, what you're asking is uh, if we get caught up in thinking that evangelism is the objective, then we uh, will, we'll get lost in what the objective really is. If it's different than that. There's a verse in, uh, in Luke 18, 31, where Jesus took the 12 aside and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things which are written through the prophets and through the, uh, about the Son of God will be accomplished. But he will be handed over to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked, mistreated, spat on. He'll be scourged. They'll kill him. Third day he'll rise again. And I usually ask my, uh, my congregation, my group, what part of that did they not understand? <laughs> and um, almost all of them, yeah, that was clear. But in verse 34, it says the disciples understood none of these things. <laughs> and the meaning was, and the statement was hidden from them. They did not comprehend the things that were said. I think just as they could miss it, I think we could miss it. I think we are... Uh, 
we're not comprehending that uh, that what Jesus was bringing to the table was 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 his understanding, his knowledge, uh, these hidden things. Uh, the death was his job. The searching out his life is our job. We tend to focus on his job rather than our job. There's a verse in Matthew 13, 35 that I love. It says that uh, when, when Jesus comes, uh, he will uh, bring with him truths that have been hidden from the foundation of the world. So if you're going to understand these ingredients that God has sent Jesus to deliver, you've got to go deep into Christ and you can't get lost on minors. You've got to get lost on, on the majors. What? Uh, so when you read Jesus, is he talking about uh, following him or is he talking about his death? It's 95, five. Hmm. He focuses on his life. We focus on, on his death. And I, I don't want to uh, hmm. under, underestimate his death. His death is essential but it's a launching point, not a focal point. Yeah, it, it, it really is what creates the opportunity for us to, to enter this relationship and then live, live in this relationship. So that makes sense to me. It's, it's one of the things, um, you know, the bridge illustration, um, some of our listeners will be familiar with that, but it's, it's, a, it's a simple way of, of presenting the gospel message and trying to help someone uh, make a decision and uh, cross over into a relationship with God. Uh, one thing I've never, that's never set well with me about that illustration is that, you know, Jesus, the cross is presented as that bridge and, and then you write Jesus on that cross. And so you've got man, you've got this, this chasm, God's on the other side, bridge, Jesus. And the idea is that you cross over Jesus to get to God. And of course, in a sense, that's true. But it can almost communicate that Jesus is, is just the means to the end yeah. versus the end itself. That really what Jesus is, is he's inviting us to come and follow him. And because we belong to him, you know, Jesus says um, um, that whoever has him has the father. So, so you, you get God by virtue of being in this relationship with Jesus, not, because, not just because you cross through Jesus but because you're in Jesus and, and you belong to him and you're, you're part of uh, what he's doing. I, I kind of feel like a lot of people listening to this are going to be nodding their head. Like, yes, of course, Jesus, he's, he's the focus. He's, he's what all of us Christians should be um, living for. But I think you and I, I know you well enough that I think you and I would say you're not radical enough. You think you're focused on Jesus, but but you're really distracted with all these other good things. And if you go and you sit in a church service 52 weeks out of a year, there's going to be very few of those 50 plus sermons that are pointing you towards patterning your life after Jesus. So how, how can we, what are the practical ways that we can put our focus more on Jesus? Let me give a verse that uh, my uh, take on the way these disciples were looking at things is uh, they were looking at things that Jesus was the culmination of what Moses was trying to uh, bring to the table and that Paul was being sent out 
to bring that to the masses. Uh, I sometimes people say, well, you don't value the Old Testament. But I'm going, you got to be kidding me. The Old Testament is equally inspired as, as the Gospels are. But the Gospels are giving light to the Old Testament. And that's why they have to be focused on. There's a verse in 2 John 9 and 10 that, that uh, is my take on what these men were looking at. It says, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And I think we need to wrestle with that. Why would John say something that wasn't true or overstate something? Or was he really trying to communicate something that is hard for us to comprehend? That, and when you think about it, that if you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, you don't abide in the teaching of God. So it begins, of course, that Jesus is bringing us what God thinks to, to not understand what Jesus is talking about is to not understand what God is talking about. Hmm. And he says, uh, the one who abides in the teaching of Christ, he has both the father and the son. And then verse 10 says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, which is the teaching of Christ, not the death of Christ, although that's part of it, mm-hmm, right. but the teaching of Christ, uh, uh, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. So I think we are, uh, <clears throat> we underestimate, like you just mentioned, we underestimate uh, going into uh, detail on what his teachings were. Uh, I-, I talk to people about whether they're following Christ hmm. and they're not even close to doing what Christ was doing. Hmm. He picked teenagers. Uh, he, uh, he spent enormous amounts of time with the people he was discipling. I mean, these things aren't happening, and yet they're following Christ. I'm going to go, you're not studying Christ. You're <laughs> studying what you think Christ uh, has done or would do, or you're, you're cherry-picking. Uh, and I, I think the early disciples weren't. They were literally trying to do to one another what Christ had done to them. Yeah, I think uh, for most people, we've, we've talked about this, that most people are fans of Jesus, not followers. Yes. And most Christians, I should say, um, if you really assess it, that, that's what it is. They, they, they're pro-Jesus, they're fans of Jesus, but they're not aggressively trying to pattern their life after Jesus. They are not. And they I, think they are, but they're not. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, there's so many ways that uh, the Bible points us back to this. I, I love the Mount of Transfiguration where um, the, the three disciples are with Jesus there and they see him um, glorified and the cloud is overshadowing. And Peter begins to uh, make some suggestions of, of how they as the disciples could best honor God in this moment. And of course, the voice that comes back is, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And then I, I love the way the scriptures say it is that when they looked, it was just Jesus. You know, um, uh, Moses was gone. Um, Elijah was gone, just Jesus at that moment. Um, so, so, you know, pointing us back to a radical focus on Jesus. And then, you know, Paul, when he came to faith, you can read about it in Acts chapter 22. He had two questions that he asked, and it was, you know, who are you, Lord? When Jesus first revealed himself to you, who are you, Lord? And what shall I do? And I think the discipleship, one way of understanding it is just 
going through the rest of our lives uh, asking those two questions. Who, who are you, Lord? Who, who are you, Jesus? And then what do you want me to do? And patterning what, what he wants us to do based on, on listening to, uh, to him. So um, I know one thing that you've done that's very practical and that I, I've picked up from you is that every day you want to be reading in the Gospels. So are, are you still doing that? I know that's something that uh, you've done in the past. To, to not, uh, to not, how can I know Christ if I don't go deep into him, like Colossians 2, 3 says. And so uh, if I'm going to miss reading something, I'm going to miss reading either the old or the new. I will not m miss reading a chapter of the gospel. Although I don't miss reading the old or the new, I read all three sections. Right. Uh, and you can uh, figure out how much you have time to read. I read two pages of the old i read a third of the page of the new and one chapter of the gospel and i get through in a year mm -hmm. and so but but i'll i'll have gone through the old ones the new ones and the gospels four times mm -hmm. so in one year in one year you'll read through all four gospels yeah. four times each four times each yeah. and so if that's too much read read half that read read a quarter of that <laughs> i would rather see someone read one verse a day every day than a chapter once a week um, because I'm after the habit not uh, and once you get the habit then uh, the rest will be you can increase it yeah but uh, it's and therefore I've only made three vows in my life and one of them is I'll never let a day go by without reading at least one chapter of Bible. right had I done that vow earlier it'd been one chapter of the Gospels hmm. but in any event uh yeah, I, I think that uh, I, John 1, 12 says it really well. Jesus said, I have come to let people know who God is. And so, uh, oh, no, no, it's 118, I'm sorry. Uh, so I, I, I think that, uh, that going, going deep into uh, over and over, oh, because the, the layers of onions are, Mm -hmm. are uh, unending we're never going to get to the bottom of this onion before we die because of of uh the riches that belong to him that are coming from god i like that um that emphasis on consistency that you uh that you pointed to there of of, of consistently daily spending time you know fixing our eyes on jesus and one of the most practical ways to do that is to be reading from the gospels um, each day, I was thinking recently that that we we tend to I think we tend to overvalue uh, intellect and um, higher learning. So most people, when they think about the Bible, um, they they sell themselves short. I believe because either they feel like they're not smart enough to figure it out, um, and that's for people that are are smarter than them, or they haven't been through seminary or some sort of formal education. It, it, and because they haven't done that, they can't really understand the Bible on a deeper level. When in reality, if you'll just read the Bible, you know, once a year, that that compounds. And you will know in 20 years, and I know this sounds like it probably sounds crazy to a lot of people, but in 20 years, you will know the Bible better than most of the people who are smarter than you, uh, most of the people who have been through some sort of formal 
uh, religious education, just consistently drawing near to God and, and listening to Jesus and looking to him. Um, so there's really no reason not to do it. Um, and, and time is on your side. Like you said, just consistently spend that time with, with Jesus. I think another um, resource that I would, I would encourage people to check out is I, I'm a very, um, I tend to take things from the whole and, and break it down into parts. It's just kind of how my mind, it, it helps me, I guess, figure it out. So to focus on Jesus, uh, I, I sometimes think about four M's. So Jesus is the master, and therefore he's the one I'm going to focus on. And I'm going to keep my focus on him because I am trying to radically pattern my life after the master. Um, and then three areas of study that I'm trying to discern from the master. One has to do with his message. You know, Jesus was predominantly known as a teacher and he went about proclaiming and teaching the message of God. So I want to study. What did Jesus teach? What did he focus on? How did he teach? Who was he trying to teach? Um, who did he not give in-depth responses to? And, and what do I learn from that? So, so studying the, the message of Jesus is the first M. The second would be the mission. You know, Jesus came with a purpose. Um, and so what was his mission? And then how did he go about doing that? Uh, and then the third would be the model. And, and I think a lot of times we miss Jesus on this last one. Um, you know, how did he go about making those disciples? Um, how did he go about living his life? Like, and you mentioned a few of them already, you know, he focused on um, younger people, um, folks that probably would have been overlooked as, as the foundations for the church. You know, Jesus selected those, those people and he invested in them. So, you know, studying the, uh, the model of Jesus as our blueprint. So, so focus on the master. And as you do that, you can break it down further. What was his message? What was his mission? And then what was his method or his model of accomplishing that mission? We can imitate Jesus in all of those ways, and, and we should be. I, uh, want, to, I want to throw out a thing that, that uh, is, uh, seems dangerous, but it seems clear. Uh, and in, in respect to what you just said, you know, Jesus was very clear in John 8, 31. If you continue in my word, not Moses, although Moses was equally inspired, not Paul. Mm -hmm. If you continue uh, in my word, then you are my disciples. So if we're not continuing in the Gospels, whether we whether it feels wrong or not, we're not his disciples. Mm. And so uh, based on that, uh, to go to the top of the echelon and what, what were the, the, the greatest things they talked about that would, uh, that would identify what he's trying to get across. And, and one of the things that uh, you have to start with, with uh, when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, but so when he talked about the greatest commandment, uh, the commandment wasn't uh, uh, wasn't uh, phileoing God. The commandment was agapeing God, which is a demonstrable love, one that can be viewed. And so uh, when you look at the great commandment, if it, if it was phileo, it could have been worship. If it was agape, 
then it's action. Would you say that phileo, because some people may not be as familiar, there are different Greek words for love. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And Jesus chose a very specific Greek word when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, would you say that, like you just mentioned worship, um, that phileo tends to be more of an emotional, yeah. uh, emotional, emotionally driven love, whereas agape is more sacrificial, more even even though I may not feel like doing this right now, um, the uh, the object of my love is worthy, and therefore I'm going to live a certain way. I'm I'm going to I'm going to have a certain expression of devotion to this person. It's like the two sons that Jesus sent out, our parable, sent out to obey his father. The one who had the right attitude uh, versus the one who had the wrong attitude. Right. And he said, which did the will of his father? Right. It was the one who had the wrong attitude, but, yeah. but accomplished it. We, we, uh, we value uh, emotions over forced obedience. Right. And uh, uh that, that if, if, if you do something that you don't feel like you're doing, we're feeling like God, that's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. In John 21, when, when uh, Peter, uh, God, Jesus asked Peter, do you uh, agape me? Mm -hmm. Peter could have said uh, ab categorically, right. but he doesn't. He, he says, uh, Lord, I phileo you. Mm -hmm. And so he was, he valued the emotional strength of, of, of how I care about you above, he was, he was trumping Jesus. Hmm. And, uh, and so Jesus then makes sure it shows itself in, in, in what you're doing. Right. He kept pointing him back to you. Back to the well, sheep. Then if you love me, you should be doing these things. And, and the second time he asked again, do you agape me? And Peter again, he's going to trump Jesus. It's more than agape. It's phileo. Hmm. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and then so make sure it shows itself in feeding my sheep. Right. And then the third one, Jesus went to phileo. Yeah. And then he, he also went, Peter went phileo, feed my sheep. And so later <laughs> on when he writes his, one of his last books in Second Peter 1, mm -hmm. and he does the pyramid of, of uh, how, how to become mature, he puts agape on top of phileo. Hmm. Peter figures it out that obedience is more important than how you feel. Yeah. They, he figures this thing out. Yeah. And, and, and that's encouraging because I mean, I think Peter's a great example. I think, you know, second um, Chronicles 16, you know, he was one of these guys whose heart was completely uh, the Lord's the eyes of the Lord moving to and fro. And you know, Peter was definitely one of these guys who had, I would say a big heart. So he was, uh, sometimes that got him into trouble. Um, but over the course of a lifetime of following Jesus, um, you know, he figured some of those things out, which is, which is definitely encouraging to me. Well, I know we've only got a few minutes left here, Cecil. I wanted to wrap it up by um, saying that I know so few people that are further along in life who are enthusiastic about following Jesus still trying to learn and still trying to pass those things on to the next generation. So I just want to, maybe a personal question. What, what do you, how do you see the, the coming months and years playing out for you? How do you want to finish the race strong 
as a, a follower of Jesus in the time that you have left? Well, uh, you know, every one of us is, are hopefully going to God for our marching orders, uh, whether they're going to change, whether they're going to continue on what we think they ought to be. So we're, we're trying to get a confirmation. I think what, uh, uh, where I think the dam is breaking, uh, if, you, if you have a good pastor, then you have a greater likelihood of having a healthy church. If you have a good president, you're going to have a greater likelihood of, of having a, a healthier nation, uh, a healthier parent. Uh, you can just on and on. Jesus came to show us how to raise up uh, healthy generations, the 11, for example. And when these 11 go out, they turn the world upside down mm. uh, because Jesus has finished his training with them. I, I think I want to go around and try to get people to realize that if they're not climbing the Jesus tree, hmm. they're not getting to the top of the mountain to see what's going on. They've got to understand uh, that what Jesus was trying to bring to the table. And so I think I want to go after, you know, I talked about the great commandment. The summary commandment was the same way. You'd think that the summary of the Bible would be loving God. It's not. It's loving people. The, the new commandment, you'd think the new commandment would be loving God. It's not. It's loving mm -hmm. others the way Christ loved us. But we look at that as earning our salvation or, or uh, we, we just look at it wrong. Right. Uh, we, we, we need to focus on what God has uh, uh, called us to do, not what God has called himself to do. Mm -hmm. That's good, man. Um, and I, I just think of, uh, I just think of, as you were sharing that, something that popped in my head that I, I've never really thought before is, you know, Jesus, he, he gave his life, what we have, what we see in the scriptures, what God has chosen to reveal to us. You know, there are, there are hidden, most of Jesus' life is hidden from us. We don't know a whole lot about what he did between say one and 30. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because that's not the part of his life that we're supposed to imitate. So we've been given the part that we're supposed to imitate. And it's, it just struck me that to the very end, you know, Jesus was with those 11, investing in them literally to the very last moment before he returned to the Father. And so it's just, I see you, this is probably going to make you a little embarrassed, but I see you giving yourself to that generation, the, the next generation um, throughout your life, all the way to the end, which um, is really inspiring to, uh, to learn from. Well, Cease, thanks for being here on the show, but even more, you're out here in San Diego um, meeting with us and investing in, and uh, still investing in Cindy and I and others that we're discipling. So appreciate you, man. Uh -huh. uh, it's great. Uh come alongside of what you're trying to do and uh, throw in my two cents worth. Well, we'll do it again. Okay. Thanks everybody.